The information provided in this show is intended for your general knowledge only and is not intended to be, nor is it, medical advice or a substitute for medical advice. If you have or suspect you have a specific medical condition or disease, please consult your health care provider. You are now listening to The Health Hero Show with Tim James. <laughs> What's up, health heroes? Tim James here, founder of ChemicalFreeBody.com and your host for the show that simplifies and demystifies how to live an energetic life with a flat belly. So if you're into a healthy gut and staying young, then this is the show for you. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here with another exciting episode of the Health Hero Show, and boy, am I excited. Um, We have Dr. Elaine Ingham on the show today, and I've known about this lady for a long time. She's actually, um, I think, uh, quite a big deal because she is at the root, literally at the root of the biggest problems that are facing our society society today, which is soil and soil health. And, um, you know, me growing up in Eastern Oregon, uh, you know, doing some farming and stuff like that. I, 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 I saw that the differences on how I was raised and how the farmers were raised over here and indoctrinated into tilling the soil, chemical farming. And it's just been, it's been ingrained in, in, in these farmers. And the sad thing for me is to watch these farmers actually get sick themselves and get cancer from the toxins that they're spraying on the food. And when you think about it, when you use common sense, it's like, would you want toxins sprayed on your food? And when you ask that question, pretty much everybody's like, uh, no, because and if somebody did spray toxins on your food or your children's food, what would you do? Well, you'd probably call the police. Um, if you're super old school redneck and there's no police around, you'd probably shoot those people or hang them, right? Because they're not doing something very nice. But what's happened is, is like, it's just like commonplace now. We spray chemicals on the food from the get-go and the farmers are the most hardworking, decent people out there. And they're the ones that are suffering the most because they're involved in it on the daily. And I have neighbors that have uh, cancer right now um, because of it. That's what they believe. And I've asked them about glyphosate and stuff like that. And like, yeah, that's probably why I got cancer. But they're still out there spraying it because it, it boils down to the money because people have mortgages and they got kids and you got to put food on the table. And unfortunately, the way I think it's, what's happened is, is the farmers have been backed into a corner with these chemicals and these pre-made GMO seeds and stuff like that. And they're controlled now. And they're, they're, the farmers should be making, they're the, they're the ones that are, that are the doctors because Hippocrates said, let thy food be, be thy medicine, and thy medicine be thy food. They're growing our food. So, but we want them to grow natural food. And so we have to re-educate our farmers because they need it to save themselves and to save us and save this plant because we have to save the soil. So um, Dr. Ingham, thank you so much for being here today. Glad to be here. Um, we've got a very common um, concerns and um, we've been researching how do you get out of that trap that the chemical companies have put us in and uh, start doing things the way nature has always been doing them and she is so much more efficient so much uh, less toxic that um, you know it's almost unbelievable that you would choose to do something other than work with nature so i presume we'll go through today some of those comparisons so you can see um what happens when you go choose a biological approach 
Well, and the, what people have to realize too is like, if you're like thinking or doubting this stuff, it's like, why are you doubting nature? That's number one. And then why are the chemical companies doing this? Well, after World War II, when they were done, you know, and were making chemicals for warfare, those businesses started and they had to keep going. So they had to make something. So they started making pesticides and fungicides and herbicides and larvicides and chemical fertilizers and, and synthetic and yeah. all synthetic stuff that are the, the fraction fractionated stuff in a lab made from nature originally. And it, it just doesn't work. It's, it's, it would, we have like, it's like 74% of rainwater has glyphosate in it now. And glyphosate's now becoming the second gluten episode because it's has the same symptoms and it's destroying uh, your body and it's leading to cancer and all this stuff. So, but before we get into all this, let's go to your backstory. So, um, because I know um, you have a, a training company now where you actually train people and train farmers, train people to train farmers, all this stuff. Um, and there's uh, modules and classes people can take to download all of your hard work over the years. And then you have a research site as well that will point people to. So you've got, you, you're a scientist and you document everything. So tell me from like little girl and let's zip through that, how you became who you are today and what you're doing. Um, gosh, uh, starting from when I was a little girl, uh, my father was the um, chairman of the Department of uh, Pharmacology and Physiology in Veterinary Medicine at the University of Minnesota. So all the time I was growing up, uh, there was that scientific background to many of the things that we did. When I was about six years old, my um, dad took me into work because I did not want to go shopping with my mom and my two sisters. They really enjoyed shopping, whereas I thought it was just a waste of time. Throw the clothes on, who cares? Uh, so I got the opportunity to go into the lab with my father, who, you know, he was doing other things and he had meetings during the Saturday, Sunday that we were there. And so he sat me down at a microscope and taught me how to use the microscope. And so I was pretty quick at catching on. So when he had to leave for his meeting, he just said, see these five or six plates? I want you to count the E. coli the way I just showed you how to count the E. coli on those Petri dishes. And so I spent the rest of the afternoon having fun on the microscope just, oh, there were such interesting critters um, in those samples. Um, and so I was just overjoyed. And every chance I got, I went into the university with my dad in order to continue working on whatever project he had. Um, I've drawn blood from sheep. I've um, been able to uh, work with people putting in the windows into the rumen, into the digestive system of the animals. I've, I've worked on that. And it was all as a kid. Um, teenager growing up so I was uh, my background was that my my parents really expected me to go into medical school um, but I worked in the heart hospital at the University of Minnesota um, in the heart unit um, and and those people weren't they they didn't really care about human beings um, it was just one more number one more person that they either failed to to fix the problem with the hearts or they did and uh wasn't the the kind of feeling the 
the it wasn't a good place for me to go. So instead of applying to medical school, I decided to, um, well, I did, uh, sorry, a little boo-boo there. Um, I uh, applied to medical school, didn't really get into the places I wanted to go. And so I applied for um, bi biological programs, ecology, ecosystem function and structure. Uh, and so started off at Texas A&M uh, working on oysters with my major professor. So there were uh, oyster beds out into the uh, Galveston Bay where the oysters weren't growing very rapidly. Most of the time they would put the oysters on their little bars and they wouldn't really grow. Maybe just tiny incremental um, growth increases and the companies wanted to figure out why, what's, why aren't the oysters growing here in a place that was great for growing oysters in the past. And so I would go out and collect oysters and look at their digestive systems and figure out what was wrong. But what was wrong was that those oysters that weren't growing didn't have a particular bacterium in their digestive system. It was gone. It had been well, it was just gone. It was, you know, like magical or something. And so I wanted to look at why, uh, what was it that was causing that loss of the bio biology in the digestive systems of the oysters. And so through my master's degree, we were looking at those things and we could correlate the um, time where a ship in the ship, Navy shipyards was pulled up out of the water, sprayed with really toxic chemicals on the bottom of the ship in order to get rid of the barnacles and the, all the things that attach to a bottom of the, the ship that slows the speed down, makes the, the ship not work very well. And of course, all of that waste went right into the Brazos River. And of course, uh, all of those toxic chemicals would go downstream. And when it hit the um, oyster, um, grounds where they were trying to grow these oysters when those poisons went through, destroyed the biology and the digestive system of the oysters and they could not grow. So would they you say that that, that event uh, caused a, a stoppage in evolution for those oysters? For those oysters, yeah. You can go anywhere, evolutionarily speaking, or even in a company trying to make uh, profit from doing this kind of work. And as soon as the company found out what the problem was, it was toxic materials in those oysters. They knew that anybody eating one of those oysters would now have the same problems of the, as the oysters were having, because those materials are so toxic. So they cleared out their um, beds where they were growing the oysters in Galveston Bay because it was it was too dangerous. They were going to, the company would get sued sooner or later uh, and it would end the company. So instead they moved into areas that weren't receiving those toxic chemicals, but it has led to my attitude about oysters is I don't eat any oysters that don't come out of the two last um, areas of the planet where there is no toxic chemical seeping into the water and harming the oysters and therefore harming the people who eat those oysters or, or any other organism. So that was what I did for my um, master's degree from um, 
from Texas A&M. I then went to Colorado State University, which uh, I was going to work with a professor, Dr. Donald Klein, where uh, he would uh, was working on what are the organisms in soil there for. Um, and the common attitude when I got to Colorado State University and I went around to all these people in soil science and agronomy and you know, all the different types of, of agronomy that we do, went around and talked to them all and described what I wanted to do for my PhD, which was to figure out how important fungi were in the soil, not the disease causers. We already understood that. But the you know ninety percent of the organisms of the fungi in soil do not cause disease. They don't harm your plants. Can so you, what are they you, doing? Can you can you just take a moment and explain to the listeners what agronomy is, just so people that might not know? Uh, yeah, agronomy is where you um, control the system so that you're raising a monoculture. Basically, that's the current. Um, trend has been for a very long time to put in just one plant. Um, and over the years, because we're keep putting in one plant into these um, fields, you are selecting for diseases that can concentrate and wipe out that whole field in, in with a disease, with a root feeding nematode, uh, with something that's eating your seeds on your plants that are causing damage to the fruits that you're producing. So agronomy is the science of growing plants in um, particular kinds of systems. So where we're planting just one, one plant. And what we've seen is that we, we have to leave those practices behind because that's not how nature farms. That's not how nature um, feeds everything on this planet. So we need to have more than one species of plant growing in an area. And, and so you have your um, crop plant, but then you wanna have understory plants that are perennial all through the rest of that field. You don't want um, plants that grow very tall because then it, that uh, competes with the crop plant that you're trying to grow, perhaps. And so if you keep them short, low, you don't have to mow them. So you've just uh, reduced a lot of time and energy. You don't have to mow those uh, understory plants. They cover the surface of the soil completely. And then when rain falls and those big drops of water coming from several miles above you, as that water drops, you can see where it's going to have a massive effect of halting that flow, and you that means you compact your soil underneath where that raindrop fell. Well, thousands and thousands, millions of drops of rainfall on your field, and you can see where you're developing a compaction zone. Normally, the organisms in the soil would now start to work on rebuilding the structure that was lost with that. My um, um, pushing down of your soil, those microorganisms in your soil build micro aggregates and macro aggregates, space for the bacteria and the fungi to grow, for the protozoa, the nematodes, the microarthropods, the earthworms, all the things that Mother Nature includes in the soil food web. 
And so the root systems of your plants can continue to grow down into the soil, reach the summer water, so you don't have to irrigate. Well, there's point number two of reducing um, what you have to do because you're no longer having to irrigate. You don't have to buy that equipment. You don't have to worry about having enough water because what happens when you've got those microorganisms rebuilding structure in your soil, now there are spaces, caverns, there are Lake Mead, uh, the largest, one of the largest lakes in the world, uh, you're accumulating the same thing micro size in the soil. So as your roots grow down into that soil, they get to these lakes of micro lakes and they have a source of water from all of the different parts of the soil. If they use up all the water here, they're just going to go deeper to the next layer of water, go deeper to the next layer of the water. As long as you're not compacted, you don't have to worry about your roots getting to the um, water that it needs late in that summertime period. So another savings. Um, this this is actually reminding me of a couple things that just the I remember like here in the Iroquois and the Cherokee they called they planted corn beans and squash together they called it three sisters here in Oregon there's actually a three mountains they call it three sisters um, and they said that because they like would plant those plants together because they would kind of so they were kind of like agriculturists before any science or anything came they already understood this just instinctively to protect the soil and those plants work together and certain plants like the beans probably fix nitrogen and stuff like that. Exactly. And then, and then there was another story of there's this gentleman up in Washington state and his, his garden would just die and he couldn't keep the darn thing watered and stuff like that. But then he would go walking in the forest and he's like, how is it? It can be a hundred degrees. And in this forest, it's, you can dig down the soil and it's moist. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was because of, you know, the multitude of plants and the cover. So he started uh, turning his, uh, garden into um more natural and wild and now it he has people come over and he gives away food he grows so much food from his kind of natural garden that he doesn't till and that kind of stuff and people come up just to check out and see how he's doing it and learn from him and he i actually want to go up i actually talked to him and i'm going to try to go up there this summer and see this guy and and get some free food um because i know it's going to be healthy too but it's going to be delicious and just kind of, just kind of meet the guy. Cause it's like, it's so what you're talking about here is like, it's actually really simple, right? This isn't complicated. Yeah. You were just doing what nature has been doing for the last, you know, since our rooted plants first started appearing on this planet a billion years ago, nature's been tuning the system so that those plots grow very, very well. And, you know, it's, you know, what I, what we do is try to figure out what all of those mechanisms are, make certain that we have all of the microorganisms in the soil that are needed. So these processes occur all by themselves. You don't have to be, be out, out there putting on inorganic fertilizer, not necessary. There is no soil on this planet that lacks the nutrients to grow plants. It's just that you've got to get those nutrients out of a plant not available form and get the microorganisms to convert that into a plant available form right around the root system. 
So the plant takes up everything it needs. If the plant doesn't take it up, then the bacteria and the fungi take the, those nutrients up and hold them in their bodies. So those soluble nutrients don't leach, don't wash out of your soil. You don't have erosion anymore. So there's all of these things. And we go through all of the, these points in the foundation classes that we offer at Soil Food Web School. So we awesome. all those training and, you know, you basically get a mentor that follows along, answers your questions. And sometimes uh, when you're asking the same question over and over, you won't get a direct reply anymore. You'll have the mentor will remind you of what you have to think about. So you learn how to use the appropriate knowledge in the appropriate places. So um that's awesome. So farmers, if, if, you, if anybody out there is a farmer or knows a farmer, this would be a good episode to forward to them because farmers, here's the question. How would you like to hire for free, they'll, they'll volunteer, trillions and trillions of workers to work your soil day and night, night and day, tirelessly, never stop because it's just something they naturally do. That's what Elaine's talking about here. So we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to show the comparisons between the gut microbiome and the soil microbiome, which is the bacteria in our gut and the bacteria in our soil and how important they are for our health and our sustainability on this planet. We'll be right back. Turmeric has been used for thousands of years all across India and Southeast Asia and is one of the best anti-inflammatory compounds on earth. Now you can get these incredible benefits with the new chemical-free body Turmeric 100 Liquid Drops. This ethically sourced breakthrough solution helps against inflammation and pain. Turmeric 100 is made with the same chemical-free body promise. No stimulants, 100% organic, and always made in the USA. Get yours today at chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, health heroes? Tim James here. I am back with Dr. Elaine Ingham. And um, I know we were going to start talking about the gut microbiome and the soil microbiome, how they're related and all this stuff. And there's, there's so many cool things to talk about, but I, I, I don't want to, I want to like get more of your credentials and finish your story about like who you are and what you've been doing. So why don't you wrap up there and then we'll, we'll move on back into the soil. Okay. We had kind of left it where I had arrived at Colorado State University and was um, developing the topic for my PhD work. And um I went around to all of the soils related people in the university and asked them about my, my research project, which was trying to determine what fungi really do for your plant. We, we knew the diseases and pests were, you know, we didn't need to cover that again. Really what we needed was a, a way to exit to prevent those disease causing organisms from causing problems. So maybe that answer could have been uh, as you know, that's part of what the beneficial bacteria do, what the beneficial fungi do. So I would talk about this with the um, with the professors, and to a man, they said, "No, don't you do do that for your PhD because nobody's going to hire you after you get finished with that PhD because bacteria and fungi they don't do anything in soil; they're just there." They do, you know, you you kill them all by using a pesticide or herbicide or uh, by tilling. You scrunch, you you crush, and you squeeze them to death um, in the soil. Yeah, well, it's really dirt at that point if you don't have the organisms that you need. Um, and they're 
replacing themselves. They, they just like the next day, they all come back. Where do they come back from? If you've just killed everything in, uh, and what's you know, the point of killing them if they come back? Yeah. And, uh, they will come back, but not if the point of, uh, origin is hundreds of miles away. You just wiped out all of that biology in your soil. None of those willing workers that build structure in the soil that prevent compaction, that hold water and nutrients and prevent erosion, all of these positives, all of that ability is gone. And now you as a grower, you're going to have to do all of that work. So instead of killing your willing organic workers, small size, um, you want to promote them. You don't want to be killing them. Well, any inorganic um, fertilizer is going to kill about 50% uh, of that po population every time you use it. So, you know, the first 50% is gone. You're going to till again to try to get rid of the compaction clods to try to get the water to infiltrate into your soil. And you can't do it because there's nobody home with that tillage, that second tillage. You just removed another 50% of that population. And the next time you till, you remove 50% more and 50 so, until so think, you can't so think find about them. This. This, is, this is profound what you're talking about here. When rain falls thousands of feet, it compacts the soil if it's not in its natural state with roots and bacteria and fungus and all that stuff. There's leaves because when it hits a leaf, it, 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 it's like a cushion. It's like, a, it's like little shields, right? So the rain gets there and then it soaks and seeps in and the root systems hold and retain it. So you think about this, guys. Farmers, listen, this is so cool. Like you don't have to till your soil. How much is that going to save you in diesel and labor not to have to till your soil? Write that down. And then the other thing is, is and why are you tilling? You're tilling because of the rain is impact. I'm, I'm looking around here. I can look out the window right now. I can see there's just tilled dead fields right now. And they're getting compacted. They have to keep tilling them to loosen the soil back up from the compaction. If you just leave the plants in there 24-7, you never have to till. Think about the savings of that. That is, that's a, that's, it's the, the cost is going to drop considerably on your farming and you're not going to kill the bacteria because you're not tilling them. And if you stop spraying, you stop killing them and you, then you're basically hiring trillions of workers. So I just want to make a little clear point about that so that now, um, people can understand it. Most people will, or farmers will come back and say, well, then what are we supposed to do with the weeds that are going to come up? Well, the weeds are going to come up because you have given them free reign to grow in that empty space between your crop plants. So what do you do to prevent those weeds from coming up? You spread out seeds of ground cover that doesn't grow more than a couple of inches tall. It's not going to compact uh, or uh, compete with your plant because your plants Given the biology that we're going to put into your furrow, where you're dropping the seeds in on the ground, we're going to make certain that all of that beneficial sets of organisms are going back into your soil right around your seed. Your crop seed is going to germinate typically in half the time that it takes uh, for that same kind of seed put into the dirt with no biological help. So these beneficial organisms in the, bac the, ba the bacteria and the fungi, protozoa and nematodes, 
they're going to be able to help your plant wake up and grow faster. So your crop plant comes up before anything else does and starts to shade all of those um, crops that are all of those plants that we're putting into the soil. So we want ground cover because ground cover is usually um, able to grow not that fast, not that quick if it's overshadowed by something else. So now your crop plant is growing nice and tall and the root systems of those plant understory plants carry mycorrhizal fungi. And so those fungi germinate, they send out the hypha to your crop plant. And now you've got a crop plant and the understory plant connected and they will both thrive. They both even, you know, evens out the highs and lows of what kinds of nutrients are coming into the plant because when the plant needs more nutrients, it's going to tell the below ground bacteria and fungi to go out and collect those nutrients. And that's what they do for the plant. Bring it back to the plant. Here you go. In exchange for sunlight energy fixed through photosynthesis. Well, so it's, a, it's a symbiotic relationship, just like ants and aphids. Yep. Only more it's nature. much more, much more direct because the hypha are there to protect those nutrients moving from your ground cover into your crop plant and vice versa. They even out all of those nutrient flows. So we see an increase in yield almost invariably. If you're doing this right, you're gonna see an increase in yield and the increase in yield can be 50% more or 100% more or 300% more. And in a few cases, uh, we see an increase of into the thousands of percent. So you more than quadrupled, more than um, increased by a factor of 10, but you've got to get the biology back into the soil. So it's not like it's going to take us years or a huge amount of time to get this whole system running again, but you do have to be making material that holds that uh, has all of the diversity of all of these microorganisms that you need to put back into the soil. If you've ever tilled even once, you've reduced that um, population and you're gonna benefit by putting back in these sets of microorganisms. So we make compost, but you have to make compost very, uh, you know, just exactly like it's supposed to be built. You've, you're going to be a little bit particular. The first five days of making that compost, it is critical that you be there and you are checking the temperatures and making sure nothing's going wrong. It, you have to maintain it in an aerobic fashion. And if you, Can you don't, explain aerobic versus anaerobic. Yeah, aerobic means with oxygen. So above six parts per million oxygen, if you want to go and get an oxygen probe, you can measure that yourself, is you drop below six parts per million, then the disease-causing undesirable um, organisms, now they grow most rapidly under anaerobic, without air. So A-N, without aerobic air. So without air. Um, well, for my listeners, for my listeners, does this sound familiar, guys? We've been talking about this for years. When we talk about cancer, we talk about harmful organisms like viruses and bacterias, which we're talking about today. Uh, mold, yeast, funguses, which we're talking about today. These these types of harmful ones um, are anaerobic. 
and cancer is anaerobic. It cannot grow in an oxygenated environment. So we've been talking about this for years over here, Elaine, to my, my followers, my listeners and stuff about creating an oxygenated, high oxygen, highly alkaline environment in your body so that, you know, you can actually keep these certain types of bacteria and fungus in check. And the way I look at it is like, I don't really, I've actually kind of changed my mind. I got to keep catching myself because I don't really think there's anything such as a bad bacteria or a bad fungus. They're there for a reason so that when, when, when it's time to recycle a tree or recycle a human being's body back into the soil so it can regenerate, it's part of the cycle. They're just sitting there waiting. We have a little E. coli in our stomach. We got a little bit of this. And, and when, when, we're, when we break down, they're going to actually break us down back into dirt, back into the soil and stuff like They're there for a reason. But as long as we keep the environment correct, we can keep all of these other parts that we label as good rocking and rolling. And the bad, the AKA bad ones stay a little, they stay back there in the, in the shadows, just waiting until it's time to die. And then they'll, they'll do their job. It's all part of the cycle of life. So anyway, I just thought I'd share that because what you're illustrating here is exactly correlating to what we've been talking about or for the ecology inside the human being, which is in the soil, because we are connected to the soil. And again, the minerals in the soil are the same minerals your bones are made out of. The water that's in nature is what your body's mostly made of. You got water and the gut microbiome and the bacteria in your gut, many of them are still in the soil. So there is no difference between us and soil, except we look a little different. We, you know, we're, we're, just, we're, 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 we're a different we're shape. Up. Yeah, we're sacked. <laughs> we, we got a sack. We're all, all of our stuff's in a sack, a skin set. All right. So, so keep going about your background and all this stuff. This is awesome. Okay. So um, I decided, despite the huge negativity, from all of the soils people on campus, my major professor and I decided we were gonna go ahead and do that, this PhD. And when, as I finished up my PhD, um, there was another um, group of people at Colorado State University at the Natural Resource Ecology Lab that found out about what I was doing and had me come over and give them a lecture about what I was finding and uh, how you have to control, you have to manage uh, your soil, you have to manage your compost so that it stays aerobic, despite the fact that you want a really high temperature. And so the microorganisms, if we give them the adequate food, you're going to have the bacteria and the fungi start growing so rapidly on that great food that they increase the temperature. And that's what kills the disease-causing organisms, the pests, the problems, the things you don't want in your soil. They have a mechanism. Mother Nature has a me mechanism for managing them that is really pretty simple. You, you just have to kind of take five mornings out of your busy schedule. And those five mornings, you've got to pay attention to what's going on in your compost piles so that you turn them, you re-aerate the soil. Yes, we're going to kill a few organisms, but we have to get the oxygen back into the into the compost. So what are you feed what are you feeding the compost? Oh, we have recipes for different kinds of oh, organisms. So depending we, on the type of soil and the location and the temperature. On the crop that you're trying to grow, uh, mm -hmm. because you know it, if you go through succession you go through in the very same piece of ground, 
you, when you start out, you, you'll grow weeds. Well, we don't want that. So we want to move things on to those next stages of growing herbs or growing tomatoes and potatoes and uh, onions and garlic and things like that onto highly um, um, beneficial grasses for your animals to eat and move on then to shrubs and trees. So going through the steps of succession to that old growth situation. And so we've discovered that if we look at that fungal to bacterial biomass ratio, we can make the, the soil correct for growing this kind of plant. And it will prevent other plants from being able to outcompete the plant you want so that you don't have any competition root system to root system. Um, you are going to prevent weeds from being able to grow. And there's a specific mechanism for why that works. And we go through that mechanism in the classes that we teach. So when I finished up my degree at um, Colorado State University, I went to the University of Georgia, where we set up exactly the same kind of laboratory where they look at uh, bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes. Why are those protozoa there? Why, why do you have nematodes? And, you know, if you listen to chemical salesmen, they, they lead you to believe that all nematodes are bad and you've got to kill them all. And here's a really toxic material that go out and spray that. That'll kill all your nematodes. But it's not true that those are all bad guys. 90% of them are probably beneficials. Mother Nature sends root feeding nematodes into your um, crop um, systems if you're doing something wrong. It's a message from Mother Nature that you're not following the rules. So if you start seeing root feeding nematodes, that should say to you, uh-oh, I ignored something really important in this whole process of getting here. What did we do wrong? How do we get rid of the root feeding nematodes not using toxic chemicals? Because there is no toxic chemical that kills just the disease organism or just the problem organism. Sorry, you're going to kill way more beneficial organisms than you will of the problem organism. Learn to look at disease as Mother Nature saying to you, Ahem, you goofed up. Now you better go back and make certain that you fix your compost, get that biology into the soil, and then the problem disease will go away without you having to spray something toxic, without you having to get out there and work really hard over and over and over again, trying to get rid of a disease. Um, I just got back from Southeast Asia where I'm working with people on a number of different diseases where they would be going out during, the light, during an annual cycle. They would go out and they would spray 40 to 50 times covering the whole um, plantation. And, you know, in two weeks, the disease-causing organism was back. And so they would spray again. Two weeks later, the disease-causing organism is back. So you spray again. So you, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. This reminds me of the story that Dr. Clement was telling me about back in the 70s. You probably know these stories that um, people were like, 
picketing and protesting because they were spraying orchards six to seven times a year. And he yeah. said, and this was, and then in 2011 is when I heard the story. And I don't know what it is now, but back then he said, now they're spraying like 16 to 17 times a year. And he says, they're just missing the, they're missing the boat because why, why do they have to keep spraying more and more and more and more? Because they're killing the bacteria and the fungus, that bacterial fungal ratio you were talking about, the proper ratio in nature and making the plants weaker because they're making the soil weaker. So then the plants got weaker, more bugs come in because like, hey, it's weaker. So the bugs go. And it's like, it's the, it's great if you want to sell chemicals, but then your, no, your end product is this chemical ridden apple that's going to lead to cancer causing agents going into the, into your kilt, your children and yourself. And it's like, it's so blatantly stupid, simple, right? If you want health, if you wanted to get your trees healthier and have a better crop, focus on the soil. What is the environment that the tree's in? And that's what you did. You went, it's really remarkable because I, I see this all the time where every once in a while I run into somebody like you, it's like, well, I'm going to do this. Oh, no, don't do it because you can't make any money doing it. <laughs> Everything revolves around the damn money. So it's like, let's make money. But at the same time, this is the difference that I keep talking about with um, um, when you're talking about business today, yeah. when, you're, when you're running. And I, I, I'm, I'm totally for you know, a free market economy. Uh, I'm totally for capitalism with a big butt. And that big butt is, is that because when you look at capitalism, usually a board of directors or an owner's job, main job is profitability. I get that. I understand that. But you can't, there has to be an equal value. There has to be two things, planet and creatures. And that would include us. As long as that thing can drive profit and it doesn't hurt a, the, our planet, the mothership, or us or any other creature on the planet, that's, that's how you move forward with the company. That should be it. If we do those two things, we start eliminating all of our problems. Like literally, we, we heal up, we heal our guts, we heal our bodies, we heal our soil, and there's going to be more money going around and less money going to these uh, uh, companies that are just really not serving us. I mean, that's where it boils down to. And if what we did was say, okay, you put um, this toxic chemical on your land in order to kill this problem, well, any, even the tiniest drop of that toxic chemical that moves off your land, the chemical company has to pay for the fact that they overestimated the amount of toxic chemical that was needed to deal with the problem. Make it the company that sold you those toxic things. That's their problem that that escaped into the water, into the lakes, the rivers and streams that got down into the Gulf of Mexico and killed those, all of those oysters in their beds, um, yeah. all of those places. Same thing with air quality. If, if the car makers that are making those cars and pumping all of that carbon dioxide um, or uh, gases uh, out into the atmosphere, uh, if they had to pay for the cleanup of that, then they would turn around and they would fix our, our cars. We wouldn't have these problems. You know, give them the incentive to mm -hmm. um, work out the things, get the biology back into the soil because then we don't have all of these problems with toxicity. You would never have a chemical guy recommend their toxic chemicals if they had to pay for everything that moved out of your system and caused damage elsewhere. Yeah. So let's get going on putting the finger where 
it belongs. It's with the chemical companies. They're causing the problem by convincing growers that they're stupid, that they don't understand the system, and they've got to take their direction from the chemical com companies. Isn't that kind of making farmers slaves? You call up the oh, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, and you call up the chemicals and the chemical guy, and he tells you exactly what to put on. You uh, have to put out 250 pounds per acre of nitrate fertilizer. You've got to put out this much uh, lime. You got to put out this much magnesium, um, and then you'll be a okay. Well, how much is uh, of all of that is staying in your system? It's less than 80 percent of what you put on stays within your um, ecosystem that you're growing the plants. 80% of what you paid for isn't there anymore after one rainfall event. And it doesn't even work. Yeah. It, it really doesn't work. I mean, because, I mean, look around how sick people are. I mean, and I actually, the... I, when I go, I went to a, a place outside and ate last summer, and I, I noticed this all the time, and I see, like, a little blackbird, run around eating GMO breadcrumbs people dropped and they got cancers on their feet, stuff like that, or cancers on their beak and they're just all messed up. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep going. This is important. I'm just going to skip a uh, commercial and um, okay. So was there anything else on your backstory um, after your well, PhD work with this? Yeah, you know, of course. Uh, of course it kept on. I went to the university of Georgia and set up the same kind of laboratory. And so they've been doing work, um, they were one of the first places where uh, the first trial where we took an agricultural system, two acre area, and half of it stayed in um, chemical, um, so the control in that system. So we could see what the normal soybean or corn, because I think that was the, the um, you know, uh, the cycle. Um, in a two-year period of time, you would go corn, soybean, corn, soybean. Um, and so we could very rapidly, we would know exactly what the chemical system would be, how it would be responding. And then the other half uh, acre, we replaced all of the pesticides, all of the um, toxic chemicals, and we started putting in biology. And in the first growing season, compost, you composted, them. composted, correct. Yeah. Yep. So we, we put, you know, because when we're looking through microscopes, we can see these organisms in a microscope, fairly inexpensive, you know, about $300, $400 for a microscope. And then you can see when these organisms have come back into your soil and you can see that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so in that case where you, um, put in the biology, you start to see that the plants are growing uh, much more rapidly early uh, because there's a lot of nutrient cycling going on in the soil. No fertilizers added. And this was the very first year. And we got increased growth. Um, it was it was only, you know, like 10 to 20 percent increase. But the, the the farmers around this trial were just astounded. That because they figured if they got a 5% increase, it was worth it. Well, we're showing 10 to 20%. In the next year, increase those yields even more. And so that study at the University of Georgia was showing the possibility of what we could attain because we didn't do that good a job 
uh, making the compost. We had a lot of questions about how do you get all of the good guys growing? How do we get all of this diversity back in here? So we started to answer all of those. I then went on to the to Oregon State University here in Oregon and um, you know, kept doing work with the um, biology. Are you, are, you in, are you in Oregon? Yeah, I'm in Oregon. I'm in the Corvallis. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because I know you said you got this uh, cool thing popping up in McMinnville. We can talk about that later, but mm -hmm. that's cool. Well, I'm, so I'm I was really a excited. professor at Oregon State University for 15 years, and I uh, had a graduate student that wanted to do some work on genetically engineered organisms. So he chose a bacterium that had been uh, engineered to produce alcohol in the soil. And so the thought was that um, they, you could take all your residues, put them in a big container on the, uh, in the farm and um, you know, tie the lid, seal the lid so that no more oxygen got in there. And you could have um, anaerobic um, digestion occurring inside that big container. Well, you know, so you open the spigot after about 14 days and out comes the juice that's about, um, I said, what, it's about 36% alcohol, which is what 70, um, 70, 70 something. Um, um, it, it, when you, uh, ah. so it's like fungus shine. Like you said, moonshine. Moonshine, exactly. <laughs> so you're making your own moonshine and it's really stiff stuff. Whoa, if you drank some of that, you, you know, it's so high in concentration of alcohol that it's, you have to dilute it. You know, but um, so they thought that, you know, look at this. We take some, a big problem. We inoculate this genetically engineered organism that will convert the uh, plant material into alcohol. And now you've got a product that you can sell as something to drink or something to clean, or you know, there's a thousand and one different uses for alcohol, but it's not all one kind of alcohol. It's mixed. And so that was a problem. When we look at what the sludge was left on the bottom of that big container, the thought was, there's all your nitrogen, phosphorus, sulfur, magnesium, calcium, zinc, boron, et cetera. And so you just take that sludge material and you spread it out on your field, but it's anaerobic. You've got very toxic chemicals in that anaerobic mix and it killed all the plants. Mm. And so my- so the, the message is anaerobic and stick with nature. Quit GMO and crap. Because right. Because it just doesn't work. You quit trying to, it's like, why well, in the problem, it's like going against creation. Doesn't even make sense. Go with yeah. it. It's like yeah. in a river. Basically, what they're trying to do is they're jumping in a river. They're trying to save their lives, our lives, and their mind. And they're swimming. They're trying to swim up river. Mm -hmm. You're gonna wear out, and you're gonna freaking drown. If you get in a river, go with the flow. Right. And that's the way life is. Yep. And the problem here was if you released this microorganism out into any place that they could escape those microorganisms would spread across the globe. And remember what they did to the terrestrial systems was to kill all the plants. Mm -hmm. So how well would human beings survive without terrestrial plants? 
90% of the population would have to die because there wouldn't be enough food. The only thing that would grow that we currently convert into uh, uh, human food resources are swamp and wetland kinds of foods. So you would have to live on rice for the rest of your life. We don't have that many places on this planet that we can convert to production of rice mm -hmm. um, because rice is fairly picky as a plant. So what are we condemning ourselves to be, to have happen? We're all going to die if that black bacterium had gotten released. So one big scare of my life, that's, you know, I, often, I sometimes say, well, you know, um, I saved the planet because that um, Mike and, and I uh, worked on his P PhD research. Uh, we discovered this problem before this organism got released out into the real world, but it was close. It was very close. Um, what was so the name of it? Klebsiella planticola. And I can, I can, that's a, yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> I can write it out for you after we finish. Um, it, was a, it was a GMO bacteria that created an anaerobic state. Yep. Yep. That, um, because it would grow so rapidly and produce the alcohol, it would kill everything in that soil other than it's pretty much itself. So there's a, par there's a parallel message there um, with what alcohol is doing to our communities. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We're not meant to be drinking those anaerobic toxic um, liquids. Uh, so, uh, you know, Bakashi, we have the same problem. If you don't really know how to make Bakashi correctly, you're going to mess up and you're going to suffer the consequences. It's not going to be pretty. Um, can you overcome what's, it? Yes. What's but Bakashi? It's an anaerobic um, material that they make for putting on the fields. And you can also consume it. So a lot of people in Asian um, countries um, will use it as a food resource. Um, mm. But you have to be careful about how you make it. You've got to make it correctly. So there's a, a, there's a, a number of, of different anaerobic uh, materials that people make. And it will kill disease-causing organisms, but you also kill the good guys as well. And so it takes a much longer time for that system to return to health than yeah. if you hadn't applied that toxic set of chemicals. Well, that so, just sounds like a silly path. Yeah, I know. It's uh, we get convinced. It's, it's not like do you don't have another option. That's the whole point. It's like there are other options, and I feel like my whole existence is like I just point at these big white elephants in the room all the time, and I think that's what you're doing. You're like, uh, over here, look. Yep. Mother Nature is trying to tell you something over here. Will you please pay attention? And if you don't pay attention to Mother Nature's first message, what does she do? The second message is going to be nastier. Mm -hmm. And if you continue to ignore her, it's going to get even worse. And you look at the storms we've had this winter. That's all part of global climate change. That is only going to get worse if we don't do something about getting that elevated CO2 out of the atmosphere. We've got to stop drying this planet. So from um, Oregon State University, because I had that graduate student that did that work and I um, presented the results at um, several conferences for the United Nations, um, I was basically punt kicked out of the department. Well, it was time. So in 1996, I started Soil Food Web 
Incorporated, which so is- wait, wait a minute, you got kicked out of your tenured uh, job at Oregon State University because of uh, students' PhD work that basically saved the planet. Right, yeah. But who was I going up against? All the big chemical companies. And mm -hmm. so um, they all wanted to be able to make GMO plant um, uh, organisms and oh, hey, to... hey, well, well, well we're going to stop funding you guys unless you get rid of her. Yeah, exactly. Or, hey, we'll give you more funding if you get rid of her. Yep. It was more on if you don't shut her up, um, then we're going to take away your $75 million. Uh, we won't give that to you this next year. And that was normally what um, those companies gave. So um, it was, I was extremely disappointed in the academic, in the land grant ac academic world because they don't have anyone that you can go to. The person I was directed to to, to um, work on this problem of uh, me being kicked out um, was a strong proponent of uh, the GMO industry. In uh, and so he made it seem like he was, oh yeah, we should do something about this. Oh, um, don't worry, I'll handle it. And he never did a thing, just yeah. kind of hurried the process of exiting me out the front door. Um, Anybody that studies genetically mod modified organisms and these chemicals and stuff like that, that has any freaking clue I mean, everybody listening here probably gets this. It's like, if you have any common sense, so anybody pushing this crap is either, I mean, completely years of indoctrination and never seen the other side, but if they were actually able to see the other side and get out there and get their hands muddy, like you have, and actually make the compost and, and reclaim the soils. Because I remember somebody, one of your stories, you were with a farmer and you went out and you said, we're gonna grow this type of crop here. That's what you guys decided. And the other neighbor farmer was like, yeah, you can't do that. And then you guys did it. I can't remember which one that was, but then they were both like amazed. So it's like people have to be, you know, seeing as believing, you know, so that's what you're out there doing. But it's just unfortunate because like I said, if people think that chemicals and genetically modified is the way to go, you're either, um, I don't know, you're either just like really stupid. I mean, that's what it boils down to. I mean, or I, I just don't under, or you're corrupted. That's what it boils down to. So pick, well, which one are you? And I think it's those people who are so uncertain of their knowledge that they have to have somebody holding them by the hand and leading them through. This person doesn't want to think. They want to just do what their father did or what their mm -hmm. grandfather, and, and they're so stuck that they don't think at all. To think about their, um, their, their, the amount of money they're making every year has gone down and down and down and down. Yeah, they're getting squeezed by, by design. This is all a big, elaborate system science plan. And now we're seeing the people that have raised a bunch of money off of us, off our backs. Now, what are they doing? They're buying up all the farmland cheap because they're mm -hmm. going out and they're poisoning it now. Train wrecks in Ohio, chemicals everywhere. Farms are failing. Kids are like, screw this. I don't want to do this. This is way too hard to work. I'm going to go get a job being a CPA or something in town. I don't want to wake up at 5, 4 a.m. in the morning and do all this crap because the system has made it so difficult for them and so expensive. They've got them 
handicap because they have these massive, they've had to mortgage their property. I mean, how much do tractors cost for God's sakes and the equipment? Oh, Jesus, this stuff is a, it's a nightmare. And then, then in the process, they're killing themselves by spraying this crap. And so yeah. who would want to do that now? Take it back the other way. And if they were doing it your way naturally, which is composting and doing all that stuff, they wouldn't have to till. They wouldn't have to buy all that diesel. They wouldn't need all these tractors. And in, in a year, they would have all of this biology back in the system working, functioning. And so basically, the only thing you as a grower need to do is to decide what crop you want to put in the ground this year and go out and look at what biology is in your soil. And so make sure you add any missing organisms. You plant your seed or plant your start right in your um, row, right in that furrow. Make sure you put a little bit of concentrated good biology right around that um, seed or the root system and you're done for the year. You're just there to make sure there's no outbreak, uh, you know, no, nothing strange happens when your neighbor applies chemicals and they blow over onto your property then you might have to go back and apply one more application to uh, replenish the organisms that were killed by your neighbor applying, you know, glyphosate or 2,4-D or you know, any one of the toxic chemicals that are getting more and more expensive all the time. I think, um, the, key, I think the key here is that with the farmers is you got to go right to the pocketbook. And instead of, instead, you know, you don't, the, my approach is not going to be like, hey, dummy, quit spraying the stuff. It's killing you. It's killing the plants, killing everybody. You're raising chemical. You, you don't do it. That's like, hey, how would you like to increase your profitability 10 to 20% the first year? And, and typically, then next year it'll be 35 to 50. And then, you know, even more. Yep. Well, it's like in the first year working with people in the Hudson River Valley of New York. Uh, they documented very clearly what was the savings per acre. And in the first year, it was $600 per acre saved. Save and put that money in your pocket. And every year, that amount of saving increases because you get more and more of that massive diversity of these organisms back into the soil so that nothing can touch your soil as long as yeah, it's not a yep it's not a toxic chemical it's uh not susceptible um to um turn uh, to uh killing those are the only problems um that you can impose on that system that would would, would change that biology enough that you wouldn't be able to make it so you just go out and you put on another application of compost extract so the liquid form of that solid called compost, you make certain you have a microscope for you to look through, or you can find um, a consultant that will do that work for you. And then you and the consultant can have all of these talks about what's the next step, what should they do, um, and then you get it done. And for Yeah, the rest this is cool. I mean, just to put this in perspective, let's say you're a small farmer. And you have 167 acres that what she just said that $600 uh, increase that's a hundred grand I mean that's a lot of dough you can well, you can do a lot with a hundred that 167 acre farm could increase 
if you had a thousand acre farm, that would be a $600,000 increase first year. Let's go 10,000. You have a $3 million saving. And that's just on the inorganic fertilizer. So that's not, that's not, that's not the savings of less diesel, no tilling, less tractor costs, less labor costs, any of that other stuff. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is, I, I think Elaine, this is, this should be, I think this should be your headline is with your soil food web and everything you're doing. It's like, we should be focused on increasing profits, uh, reducing, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll come up with a tagline for you, but yep. it, it's really, and, hit, hit, it, people, because we have, the working class has been shit on since the seventies um, when Republicans and Democrats started working together and they took over the, the real bottoms up working class unions that were very robust. Um, a lot of people don't know, but from 1900 to, to 1970, over 200 million Americans were striking for better pay, better wages, safer streets, infrastructure to get the urine, the feces out of the streets, um, uh, clean water, you know, getting dead animals out of the water supply. And we stopped in the 70s because the, the unions got taken over top down. Now, from 1970 to today, the last 50 some years, less than two to five million people have striked. We've stopped fighting. And it's time for the working class people to rise up. And one thing that's really sad is if somebody's making $50,000 a year, they should be making $120,000. Where'd that money go? It's went up river. It's being squeezed um, through these big, big companies, like through the medical companies and all these HMOs and all the in-between people and in the, the farming industry of all these chemical companies and brokers and all these people in the middle. It's like, no, dude, you just need to get a hold of a lane and learn how to make really robust bacterial compost and and start reconditioning your soil and, and make yourself trillions and trillions of workers that'll work for free and you can do it in a bucket yeah. like literally like this is not hard work and you can start increasing your profits this is very exciting i mean it's almost like like shouting from the rooftops this is a big deal so how many farms have you helped since you started this practice and you went solo um it's gotten out of hand to try to figure that out. So I would say well over 200,000 farms that we've helped worldwide. Um, go to our website, soilfoodweb.com, and you can see the page where we've been training people. And these are the folks that are out in the field. And find the one closest to you, call them up and get them working for you. Um, it doesn't take very long until you just need a slight um, adjustment at the beginning of the growing season, and all of these benefits are yours. And I'm sure all these people that you've trained or these farmers are more than happy to help other farmers do the same thing, because the more they help, the less spray is going to come on their crops. Yep. So we have consultants that people can hire to help do the uh, microscope work if you don't want to do it yourself. But um, then you're surrounded typically by um, farmers that are learning this process and you become a mentor. You become somebody that's going to help all of your neighbors. So let's let's build that community understanding um, and everybody realizes that we've just we've got to work with mother nature you can't keep fighting mother nature because she's gonna win not us long yeah. term she's gonna kill us all off and get rid of the pest which is us if we don't straighten yeah. up what does she need us for 
you know, and sometimes in my more cynical moments, I think, uh, well, uh, we've done our job of get, taking all of that CO2, all that carbon that was buried underground with the last couple of uh, big comets that are actually had actually hit the, hit the, the planet. And Mother Nature needed someone to take that carbon from deep down in the planet surface and bring it back up to the top. That's exactly what we've done. We've increased the CO2 in the atmosphere so much that we're not going to survive. Is that what Mother Nature needed? Well, if we don't pay attention, that's what's going to happen. Well, with the CO2 stuff, um, you know, I, I, I know that plants need carbon dioxide. That's their that's their food. I don't have enough to speak on about that. Um, but what I will say is this is that as far as reclaiming our soils and stuff like this, what you're doing is very exciting. And um, I'm really happy that there's so many other farmers that are already out there doing it. So if a farmer's thinking about this, um, but it's kind of a little nerve wracking because it's a little fearful, but it's like, dude, you can increase your profits or do that if it's a gal. It's like you can make more money. There's other people already doing it. You can visit their farm. You can see what they did. And you're going to find out that it's not that difficult. It's like less work. Yeah, it's less work. And yeah, and if you, if you don't want to look under a microscope or spend five days, have pay somebody else to do it. You're going to have more money to pay. And uh, hopefully this too, maybe, you know, with the way the economy is going and stuff like that, people, hey, if you're looking for a business, people are always going to want food, especially if you're around the inner city. You can, you can buy yourself a couple hundred acre farm that's kind of failed. Because it does, it's crappy, and then go in there and re reclaim the soil and and um, restore it, restore the bacteria and the balance, and start growing bumper crops. And local restaurants and stuff will buy from you. There's there's always going to be a need for high quality, fresh, organic food. People are looking for this more than ever. This is, and you can make way more money. Again, 167 acres will is a hundred thousand dollars more profitable just on not buying crappy fertilizer and making it yourself. Yep. There's so, going to be, it's more profitable. So there's, there's, there's money to be had here and yeah, farming's work, but it's not as much work as it is the way people are doing it right now. And imagine bottom, if, imagine if you're out there going across your property 40 to 60 times spraying a pesticide that all goes away that, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. So how much money have they saved? You know, if it's one application will of not uh, applying um, the fertilizer, the inorganic fertilizer, if you save $600 um, per acre and now don't apply that 40 applications of the toxic pesticide, I mean, you're just keeping massive amounts of money in your own pocket. Yeah. Well, this is exciting stuff, Elaine. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your backstory. It's quite profound what you've done, uh, especially with that, that PhD project with your student, um, you getting kicked out because you were just telling the truth and showing people, hey, this is a good way to go. Um, you went ahead and started your own organization. And um, it's just, it's it's the way to go. I remember when I was, I lived in Canby for a while and I remember driving by and I kept seeing this little peach tree orchard getting sprayed. It wasn't like I was driving all the time, but I mean, I would go out and do this and that. Every once in a while, every so often, I I probably saw him spray it six or seven times just in one season, just happenstance driving by that place. And every time I was like, oh, I was cringing. So this yeah. is exciting. We can stop poisoning the planet. We can start growing massive amounts of high quality food. 
It's going to be way more profitable for the farmers. The farmers can stop killing themselves and other people um, indirectly um, by doing things uh, and working with the flow of nature. So um, if people want to reach you, uh, I want them to go to soilfoodweb.com. That's where you wanted to go, right? So Correct. for training, if you wanted to get trained so, and, and check out what she's done as these other farmers uh, are on there, uh, soilfoodweb.com. And you can also get hooked up with a farmer in your area that can help you. Um, also, she has a new site for research where she documents all of the science. That's soilfoodwebinc.com, soilfoodwebinc.com. And um, if you guys go to the training course, um, you can use the code HEALTHHERO and you'll get a discount. We don't know what it's going to be. We're going to work it out behind the scenes, but uh, that's the code I use for everything. So use the code HEALTHHERO if you want to get trained. There'll be a discount for you. Um, I really appreciate you coming on today, Elaine, and I'm actually excited because um, you guys will see I've um, partnered with a guy that has a water system that's um, it's unbelievable. And he actually took and and was able to revive a seven acre pomegranate orchard with two three quarter inch garden hoses um, with this inline water system. It's kind of like a quantum level water deal, and it really helps to help restore the soil. So I'm very excited to get you some units. Elaine, yeah. so you can start practicing with your farms because it's it's pretty much you just bolt it on and go and and then add this water and see how much more that's going to increase your yields and the quality of the food that you guys are producing in in and helping you to restore these bacteria accounts and stuff too. So maybe we can even speed up the re regrowth of these bacteria and fungus, the beneficial ones oh. um, with this water. So we'll find out, but that'll be uh, something else that uh, we'll be working on. So um was there any final words of wisdom that you want to share with uh, people buying produce from farmers and farmers themselves or anybody that's interested in their health or the planet yeah it's um we're working on on projects where we're documenting the uh increase in nutrition in the food that you eat uh when you're uh using a biological approach as compared to the chemical and it's just leaps and bounds better more healthy for you to consume something that's been grown well the way nature would do it uh, with a huge um, increase in the nutrition for human beings or your animals so this is the way we have to go if yeah. we want to recover from what we've done for, to the planet in the last uh and then and it's really just been in the last hundred to 125 years that yeah. The damage has really been happening. So looking at it that way, we should be able to recover in the next six years. Yeah, pretty pretty short time period. So this is another example, guys, of, you know, voting with your dollars, right? So you start demanding clean, high-quality, nutritious products. And guess what? The farmers will show up. They'll grow them. We have, we have solutions here for them. This is very exciting. So um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Dr. Elaine, Elaine Ingham. Um, again, you guys can check her out at soilfoodweb.com for training and for all the scientific research backing up all everything she said today, soilfoodwebinc.com. And Elaine, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person since you're here in Oregon. And when you guys get this new test farm going in McMinnville, I guess it's a big project. You did some fundraising. I'll definitely come down, check it out, get some, get some video footage there and probably just, uh, have you on again, um, periodically. Cause I think what you're doing is like, I usually don't have very many guests on uh, more than once. Um, so um, I definitely want to have you on as much as possible because this is like really cool stuff to me. And I think it's literally no pun intended, the 
this is this solving the root of the root of the root of all of our problems, which is recolonizing bacteria and, and, and funguses and stuff in, in the soil. So thank you so much. And thanks to the listeners. Uh, if you guys like this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. And um, I really appreciate you guys out there. This is a really important one. Please forward this one to as many people as you possibly can. This is how we become the ripple effect. This is how the working class takes back our health. If you guys can forward this, this episode is really important. Get this in the hands of people, farmers um, and, and people so that they understand what's possible here. There's, there's ways to make money here. We can increase the farmer's profits. You can become a farmer. You can become a very profitable business. If you're looking for to doing something, you're tired of your desk job, you want to get out in the soil and, and kind of like it's you know a nice way to farm and make, make some good money this way um, and be doing something good for the planet. So this is voting with your dollars course 101 right here for this to as many people as possible and again thank you guys so much change yourself change your world and i'll see you again soon bye-bye thanks for listening again to the health hero show i'm your host tim james and remember change yourself change your world and we'll see you again on the next episode talk to you soon You have just listened to The Health Hero Show with Tim James.